0: I'm Fathering, this is Dave, and this is Text Track. Engage. So welcome back aboard the Starship Texas for the 86th installment of the Tex Trek podcast where we talk all about Star Trek, old and new. And tonight we have a double feature. We're talking about our two new Short Trek episodes that are out for the season of Short Treks. They are Q&A and The Trouble with Edward. First two of six, is that right? Yes. Yeah, and we're going to be getting another one in November, two more in December, mm-hmm. and then one in January right before Season 1 of Picard is set to premiere. So, uh we we have Star Trek every month for uh, a good long while until until the Picard season
1: finale. It's pretty cool. Although the Short Treks have a somewhat mixed record I think between the two of us. Uh I think I overall like the first season better than you did with its four episodes. Yeah. Um but but you you, you found a fair amount to like. Yeah,
0: and I, I really loved the, the the fourth and final one last year with uh, with Harry Mudd. thought that was right. a lot of fun. I had, I had a good time seeing Saru's backstory.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, I, th- uh, th- I think we did. I, I could agree that there were some, like, missed opportunities, but, like, all of them are kind of fun little ways to revisit some of your favorite characters in between. Um, and, uh, let's see, they also had the one last season which... Uh, has it? Did it ever come to fruition? The one with the uh, sentient discovery and with, with craft in the future? Yeah, um, no. And that was like that no. was the one that seemed like the most obvious link to last season of discovery with its future hopping and super AI stuff going. on. Alex
0: Kurtzman on. was asked a couple weeks ago at New York Comic Con if we would see season three discovery connect with that, mm-hmm. and he he said,
1: "I don't know, maybe." Or something along those lines. So. All right. Well, maybe they're keeping that one uh, in reserves, or maybe they don't have anything planned yet, but they <laughs> want to leave the door open. Sure. And that was just a super lame answer. Oh well. Yeah.
0: But uh, but yeah. Enough about that. We're talking about these two. Both of them set with uh, within the the time of of discovery, or around that same time, mm-hmm. uh, dealing with the crew of the USS Enterprise under the command of the one and only Captain Christopher Pike. Yeah, I say the one and only, but more like been... the four and only, whatever, <laughs> yeah, played by a bunch of different actors. Yeah, but but yes,
1: I kind of all of all of which I kind of like.
0: Uh, no, my favorite was the guy who was just sitting in the wheelchair in, in, in the <laughs> original series. Was
1: that not the the main? The, the... No, that wasn't
0: Jeffrey Hunter. It wasn't Jeffrey Hunter. No, that's why they scarred up his face so they could have a different actor.
1: I thought they scarred up his face because he got scarred.
0: No, no,
1: a little bit of magic has just left my life. No, that actually just means that they did a good job uh, of making me think that that was Jeffrey Hunter in scarred makeup. So good job, original Star Trek TOS makeup team. Um, of course, we're going to get to see uh, the current um, the current Pike in both of these ones. Yes, Anson Mount. Anson Mount, although he is not a lead in either of them.
0: Yeah, so. that's interesting. The, the most popular character who fans are demanding get his own show takes a back seat. But do, do we know if he is going to be the lead in any of these? Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe the next one we get. Huh. Well, should we should we so, dive
1: in on Q&A?
0: Sure. So the first first one on deck, Q&A. This one stars Rebecca Romaine and Ethan Pack as Number 1 and Spock respectively. Uh, the episode was written by Michael Chabon, who had previously written Calypso and is now the showrunner of Star Trek Picard. Um, and the episode was directed by Mark Pellington.
1: Okay. Is anybody in, in one of the regular disco directors or anything, do we know?
0: Uh, no, this is actually the first time he directed any Star Trek, but he does have an existing Star Trek credit in Season 2 of Discovery, The Sound of Thunder, with the the Ba'ul, when we, we
1: see... The backstory, or like, oh, this is the, this is the one where the Kelpians shed their... They're gangly. They're
0: gangly, yeah. The, the the predator species on the planet of Kaminar, mm-hmm.
1: uh, was actually, they
0: had that really creepy voice. Mm-hmm. And that was actually director
1: Mark Pellington doing that voice. So do you think that he was just a voice actor for Scary Monsters and they're like, we like that so much, we'd like you to direct an episode where <laughs> Spock meets, I, uh, number one? I think he's a guy who knows people who are on Discovery and they hooked him up with these two jobs. Ah, uh, fair enough. Uh, so this, this episode is sort of Spock's first day on the Enterprise, right? Yeah, this
0: is this is instant Spock, fresh out of the Academy. Uh, Dave, why don't, why don't you give us a, a, a quick summary of this? It's only a 15 minutes to summarize, so I think you can handle it.
1: Uh, all right. Well, I didn't plan on this at all, so let's see what I can do on the spot. We get uh, a, very, a slightly uh, overinflated uh, Spock transporting uh, to the Enterprise to make it feel very momentous, uh, whereupon he is immediately met by number one who tells him that she expects of the science officer that uh, he should be bombarding everyone around them with questions uh, until they're annoyed with them. Uh, he reluctantly begins doing this at, with kind of a little coercion from her, and they're on their way up to the bridge in the uh, turbolift, a.k.a. the elevator. <laughs> Is that, isn't that what they that, call it? Dr. McCoy called it an elevator in Star Trek too. Who's holding up the damn elevator? All right, well, that's an old country guy doing it. So um and then you you have the in the classic sort of uh I guess bottle episode style of TV shows you have the two of them trapped in the uh elevator needing to entertain themselves uh spot continuing to ask questions her telling uh him like things that reveal things about her things about him they get to know each other a little bit more deeply than expected there's even at least visually a little hint of romance or uh, some sort of close connection um, There's gonna be some sexual tension with,
0: with two, two hot single people trapped in a small private
1: enclosed space. I actually through. don't think that, that it had to have happened. They chose to do it. Uh, but Spock has been a little bit acknowledged. If I was stuck in an elevator with Rebecca Romaine, the thought might cross my mind. Spock is not you. Um, but, uh, um, the Spock who has actually, I guess I would say, always been a sexual creature, even going back to TOS, uh, but over time, especially since the Kelvinverse movies, they've been a little bit more open acknowledging uh, acknowledging the, that the character had sex appeal among fandom, and it's okay to acknowledge that he might have sex appeal amongst his contemporaries. So that is something that, that kind of is a little bit of an undercurrent near the end of the episode, and it culminates with them getting to the bridge of the Enterprise, meeting Pike for the first time, and a little bit of shared secret connection between Spock and number one. Uh, as the episode fades to black, what do you think? Same all so right?
0: you're, uh, yeah, great job.
1: All right, thanks. Uh, what was your your general reaction to this episode? All right, so I just want to say I have to one, get one thing out right out of the gate. I, I want uh, Star Trek to stop trying to make Gilbert and Sullivan happen. <laughs> just give it up, Star Trek. We know that you all have a boner for it, um, but we would all the the rest of Star Trek fandom, even if we like it, and I it's okay Gilbert and Sullivan um, would like any musical but that <laughs> but but that one and maybe even every, any song well you know they did do some different ones they did they did a different one in uh, what was it Star Trek um, insurrection uh, had a different Gilbert and Sullivan yeah. tune that was like the, the uh... What is it, a British tar! What is it? Yeah, that? yeah, that's what it a tar? is. Tar. A tar is like some kind of like a uh, a dignitary or something. A like
0: British that. tar is a soaring soul, as yeah. free as a mountain bird or something. Yeah, so that's because, what
1: that's what a British tar is. Yeah, it, I yeah, guess. I think you're about right there. Uh Also sung by Sala in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah,
0: I was about to bring. I was like that, when I saw that in the theater in '98, I was like. Ah, oh, it's the song from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yep. Because I was a stupid hillbilly kid who didn't know <laughs> what uh,
1: Gilbert and Sullivan Well, were. if Star Trek didn't keep trying to make people love it, and I feel like it showed up in in, in TNG somewhere, although I'm not 100% but sure. it
0: is it is this idea of where they don't want to use stuff that's too modern because it'll feel dated... So they make all of their pop cultural references be to things that... They love the
1: classics. Yeah, it has, it has to be something that like existed before TOS came out. Right. You, perform, you perform Hamlet, or you read detective yeah. novels from the um, 30s. Something that is very clearly in the past for the people who started watching Star Trek in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, or whatever.
0: Yeah. And it it, it makes it come off as strange that we don't get many... Uh, references to more recent pop culture that would even be in the future of our time,
1: but in the past of Star Trek's time, mm-hmm.
0: or even even things of the the latter half of the 20th century or 21st century.
1: Yeah, but, it's a little bit odd, and also it was the whole the whole whole point of that was to uh, number one was expressing that she's like, hey, I've got some quirkiness in me too, some individualism that I see that you too have, Spock, some strangeness, and that then she just starts singing randomly. It felt. Um, the, so there's some there's some messages in here. I guess I'll come back to this in a minute. That I I actually kind of felt were a little anti Star Trek, even though this is a lightweight episode with a lot of sort of fu- sort of fun dialogue. I like I, I liked the actors interacting, um, and I you know Spock being a little uncomfortable as number one kind of walks him through uh, all these questions. Uh, like I, on a surface level, I liked it. Then I went back and watched it again, and I was like, huh. There's actually a few things in here that I feel are, like, bad Star Trek messages. <laughs> uh, what, was, what was your, just tell me your first impressions, though.
0: Uh, the first time I watched it, I thought it was okay, I guess. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a strong dislike of it, but I also didn't really plug into it that much. Most of the things that I thought were interesting in there was some of... Michael being he's self-admittedly uh, a, a long-time Star Trek fan who enjoys there being a deep-rich canon
1: continuity for him to draw things from. Like Spock's raised voice from yes. the early episodes of TN well, literally the premiere Lost episode. Well, lost episode. there were a few episodes where
0: he's Shouty Spock, he's right? Shouty in the the carbonite maneuver. He's Shouty yeah. in where no man has gone before. He's Shouty in the cage, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, and also like like the fact that he smiles, which Discovery season two also used a little bit. That there was a time when Spock did smile. Yeah. Um, I kind of had I kind of had a good time with like some of that stuff. Agreed. Uh, and I love seeing the Enterprise
1: sets. They do an uh, outstanding job with the, the bridge and the corridors. The you know, only thing I noticed in the corridors, and they've probably done this before, and I just I don't know if I've commented on this or not, but that sort of slight grill work that runs along yeah. the yeah, angular side thing. Yeah, it was, it's kind of cool to see that because that seems like one of those things that honestly feels dated. Well, they had that in TOS. Right, but it feels dated now to see it. But they did do it in such a way that I just think it looks... It looks like it works in a contemporary style. Oh, we get, I think it's a good example of mixing something that's a '60s, probably budgetary, uh, you know, limit, um, and, and and making it kind of seem pretty cool and modern. We get a reference to uh, Captain Pike and his horse. Oh yeah, remind me that. So that was so, so so Spock says, "Tell me the three most salient facts about Christopher Pike," and she that that's part of the third one. But just to real quick run through the others. The first one is something about he's uh he'll he'll he's uh, he'll, quick to change not quick to change his opinion, he'll but he's always his, open. He'll, to he'll like, hear you out, yeah, and, and he'll change his mind if he agrees with you. The other one was about him being a decorated Starfleet like warrior, essentially. Yeah. Which
0: that was weird to me, but we do know he had a bunch of decorations from Discovery Season 1, he was on, like, that list that Saru pulled up of the most decorated. Right. Um, it's, it's weird that he's the most decorated in combat, and yet he sat out the war with the Klingons. you think that's the guy
1: you would need. Right. Well, they, they, they had their explanation for they that. They had their but, explanation, um, but, um, and then the third, the third interesting fact about him was that... He's
0: never this, sentimental except for with his horse, who we know from TOS is named, uh, Mango.
1: Yep. Uh, I, and I couldn't remember much about the horse from Mango that. Domingo or Tango? Does he see, does he have a flashback in that? Yeah, like remember the, the when Talosians, they're at, uh... The picnic? Yeah, they're at the the
0: picnic back yeah. on Earth. okay. Like, Mojave, which isn't a desert anymore, it's like a, a city. It's like a, it was Gene Roddenberry's vision of, like, Utopia. Yeah. Uh, Earth. Right, even Mojave is going
1: to become something beautiful.
0: Yeah, you know, it's a great place to have a picnic. Yeah, yes. it's a nice,
1: uh, nice subtle idea, uh, of his, um, uh... So, so that actually kind of brings something up that she kind of reeled those off. It sounded a little like, and, and the whole episode feels a little scripty to me, a little writery. Like the the yeah. actors did a good job of making. How does this
0: make you feel about Star Trek Picard? If this is the showrunner.
1: Um, I mean, I don't know if I have a lot to go on, but like the one or two things that were issues for me, uh, which I don't know if we should jump into them and I should bring them up, uh, or write it right now or not, but. <sighs> There's, it's interesting because it was very watchable and yet like I felt like they were delivering like Michael Chabon's lines you know, <laughs> you know? like it didn't feel. Did you feel that way about Calypso also? Those weren't the pre-existing characters Ooh. they did uh, but but my one complaint about Calypso was that it didn't feel very Star Trek so you know by, by throwing it so far in the future and having people who were not uh, like they, they, they didn't they, they weren't didn't have allegiance to Starfleet and the Federation. So it was really kind of a science fiction story that happened to take place on the Discovery. So, yeah, I, I guess it does make me a little trepidatious. Uh, for all uh, Chabon's accolades, it is possible that I won't find him a good fit for Star Trek. Um, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but I I do like that he, he likes to do things
0: like have Spock's s- serial number from episode uh court martial i believe mm-hmm. uh the, and it was like the same serial number It's like oh well he cared enough to uh right.
1: look that up there's yeah or, there's for sure some thoughtfulness and and, it, and maybe even like his approach may be one that kind of wins me over eventually yeah. but it just felt a little it, it at, at the very least different um i it, liked the, the opening by the way when he was before he beams over that beautiful transporter room yeah. set it had a little bit of a You know, like, you know how, like, in Smallville they needed to make every reference to uh, that one day he'll become Superman, beasts have some meaningful thing? And they weren't doing that quite, but they definitely wanted to make out, like, this is the first time Spock is transporting to the Enterprise. It should feel momentous. And, like, the camera does these, like, loving pans over, like, his ears and, you know, like, his badge and stuff like that. Sort of iconic qualities of Spock. And and I don't mind it, you know. This is a it's okay to like have some reverence for the fact that this character became iconic. Uh, but I think you and I both noticed the music did something interesting. It begins, of course, with the familiar strains of um, was it Alexander Courage uh, is the to the Star Trek theme. Yeah, but they they've they've used that in Discovery right. a lot, right? And so a nostalgic uh, vibe. I always like hearing it. To be honest. But they uh, there's a bit of music in there that sounded like the musical stamp of Michael G- uh, Giacchino from the Kelpin movies, the that really bold bum 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 bum, you yeah. know, right, right before think. the main theme kicks in.
0: Right, if if you watch Star Trek 09, you can hear it when McCoy and Kirk are in the shuttlecraft approaching the Enterprise, and and McCoy says, "Jim, you've got to see this." Right, right, right before you get
1: like the main theme, like bum 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 bum, and like. Uh, it's, it was it was interesting because I haven't seen Giacchino's stuff fused. I mean, I guess they they, they no. did use some of those strains in the of the, of TOS. But he's uh,
0: actually credited in here as the
1: as the, uh, a supervising pr- producer, or yeah, something like that. And if he if he's had a role before, I hadn't noticed it. Uh, so that's just kind of interesting if he might be on board or playing some role in, in future. Well,
0: we know we know that he's uh, yeah. It was actually a supervising composer. But we know okay. that he is working on some CBS All Access stuff now because he's actually uh, he actually directs one of the two animated short
1: tracks that we're getting in December. Right, right. Hey, I've got a quick question about number one. I know as originally conceived, she was going to be the Spocklight like character, right. talking about in TOS. Uh, now, as presented on Discovery, and she didn't have a, a ton to do in the, the cage, um, but... Uh, as presented on Discovery, she feels pretty outgoing, um, chatty even at times. Um, do, are, are you are you okay with that change from at least the character as they were described yeah, on paper? I don't really see it being anything that contradicts what we saw in TOS. Right. It was really more um, that some of my knowledge is really just that behind the scenes stuff. It wasn't on there on the screen much. I like that she likes spicy food.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right. It's a thing for her. Um you know, wasn't it like a habanero hot sauce that she yep. put on our hamburger and French fries? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, can, she says... I can forgive the Gilbert and Sullivan. Yeah, which, which, by the way, the reason why they decided to make that be the the freaky thing about her, and I thought that was weird—the use of the word freaky. Yeah, she um, said
1: something like, uh, "You're gonna have to lose the freak" or yeah, something you, like that. You gotta and...
0: hide the freaky if you're gonna make command. Yeah, but um, that—that's actually Rebecca Romaine. Like, knew how to sing that. Like going into this, so yeah. that's why they wrote that in there.
1: Interesting, interesting. But, uh, but on that, that's point, a behind. That's that's <laughs> a, that's a behind the scenes thing too, though. Like you, that's you're only accepting it because you know that little bit of t- trivia about her. Otherwise, it's kind of obnoxious.
0: Well, I'm just uh, we we like we like to share trivia with with our yeah no. I'm, but you said you were listeners. excusing it. I um. <laughs>
1: Well, no, it just, it just helps explain it. Sure, sure. But, but on that on that point, I guess Riker playing the trombone is like <laughs> him having some small facility. You know, that,
0: that kind of screwed over uh, Garrett Wong on Voyager because they also wanted, played. Well, no, they wanted Harry Kim to play a musical instrument, and he doesn't know how to play any musical instruments. And they uh-huh. were, they told him like, "We'll just learn how to play the clarinet." Uh-huh. And they're like, Jonathan Frakes played the trombone, so I don't see what the big deal is. Uh-huh. But he's like, like, no, that's because Jonathan Frakes knew how to play the trombone uh-huh. before you gave him the job. But You
1: know what would have made had, uh, Harry Kim infinitely cooler if he's like, uh, if he had been like, well, I play the electric guitar. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Yeah, well,
0: um, maybe one day we'll get a, uh, a Star Trek character who plays the guitar. But uh, back to this conversation between Number One and Spock. Yep. Um, this is where she points out that, like, oh, you want to you make command someday, and he denies it at first. Right. I like that they acknowledge that, because we do know that Spock eventually becomes captain of the Enterprise in,
1: I would in say Star Trek II. The vibe I got throughout TOS was not that he was on track for command. He did not seem like he was filled with ambition. But yes, the history does show us that by the time the movies roll along, he does assume command. And it actually feels like the kind of thing that he might have... Come to realize over years of serving with Captain Kirk, and and so I yeah I like that too. I think that's a reasonable uh, piece f- thing for her to pick up on. Shows how, how that she can read people, and she does it like before before he knows it himself. And we see him command his first mission in Galileo Seven and goes great.
0: Of, <laughs> well, there's kind of some implications in there that he he uh, he's got a bit he, to learn. Yeah, the, but but he thought himself capable of of, yeah. of being the leader, and then and then learns that. Maybe not quite so much, right? But he goes through an arc, and then he he
1: ends up like saving them at the end with his desperate move. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that was you know kind of another story in that in Galileo Seven about them. Uh, that was like about cultural differences. They and about didn't...
0: people being stranded together temporarily.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's just true.
0: Um, but yeah, we don't we don't get many other characters. We do have Pike at the end. Uh, we do have uh, a voice from the engineer, Upjohn.
1: Who weirdly sounds Scottish? Also, like yeah, sky-y. I couldn't tell if that was like inside joke or or if that was like was I like do I forget some character from the cage and that's just a tribute to them? Yeah, I think that's the only up John that we know of in Star Trek. When she said, when he shows up on the in the in the turbo lever on the, in the transporter room, and she's like, I expect my science officers to be asking all these questions, and you haven't asked a single one in the thirty seconds we've been talking. What's wrong with you? I thought that that was a very artificial line, yeah, it felt
0: like you had fifteen minutes to write your story, and so you gotta like cram something in there to move things along right off the bat, yeah,
1: and it it didn't feel real it felt it felt very artificial. I don't mind that she like come up with this notion like start asking me questions, let me fill you in on as much as possible, but yeah, the way it happened was kind of a little bit hokey, and um uh, so so I'm gonna mention a few things that kind of bugged me in there, one was that he said. How do you feel, or do you about some theory that the Prime Directive is oh, yeah. immoral? I like that. I she said something like uh, that question is just a like a like a can of worms, and she's like, I suggest that you move on from it. I hated that because this is a perfect opportunity to you address. Thought, you thought she was too flippant. Yeah, to address at least on a surface level that there's that it should be open to question. If she had said something like. That's a bigger question for, for another day. We could talk about it for hours. Uh, but but yes, it has some issues. Like if they had said something mm. like that, I would have been perfectly happy with it. But she's like, stop. She literally told him to keep asking questions until uh, – and then he's like asked a serious one. And she's like, boo, next. And I'm like, it's the most serious question he asked. <laughs> yeah, but I looked at it as
0: um first of all like I liked that Spock the, this younger Spock fresh out of the academy would still be questioning a little bit of a hellraiser. Like uh, well not not so much a hellraiser, but the fact that like he 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 has he has some doubts, he has questions. Sure. And uh which is like a thing with younger people in a lot of cases. And with her being the older, uh more seasoned, possibly even grizzled uh Starfleet okay. veteran um, I, she I, looks I, pretty good for Grizzle. I, I, I could, I could, I could see her being the the type who would be like, "Yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get into this with someone who's fresh out of the academy and doesn't know their head from their ass. Mm-hmm. They're literally on their first assignment. Uh, just like you don't even worry about that
1: right now. Like <laughs> it felt anti-intellectual to me, anti-Star Trek. I did not like it. Uh... But
0: I think this is also a limitation of the. The 15 minute uh, format of the short sure. film, which I love this notion of doing a, an anthology of short films. I think that's a good idea. Um, it adds some value to keeping your CBS all access sure. subscription year round mm-hmm. when there's, there's no new shows on. Uh, however, I have been kind of underwhelmed with the short treks overall. If you count short treks as a Star Trek TV show. Yes. It's easily my least favorite Star Trek show. Right. Right. Um,
1: And I think I liked season one more than I'm liking season two so far. Yeah,
0: you mentioned that, I believe.
1: Um, But, you know, we're one third of the way through. We'll see what happens. So here was the other one that I didn't like. Uh, and, And this is jumping back to what we talked about earlier, which was her... Telling him, like, she, she I forget what led her to ask this, but it was when she recognized that he was on the command track, and she said, you're going to have to hide your weirdness, and he said, well, I've been doing that all my life, talking about his Vulcan human yeah. heritage stuff. It definitely ties into what we saw in Discovery Season 2, mm-hmm. with all the flashbacks. And she said, it can be painful, and he said something like, I know. And and I was like, what is this message sending? I do not like Starfleet saying, now, I, I know that not everybody can be some wild you know, quixotic doctor who doctor kind of character. That's not what you wanted a captain. Maybe, but, and, and she's kind of trying to advise him, but they, but Michael Chabon decided the themes for the first episode. He raised this and mm. that the central theme is don't reveal who you are. It's going to hurt you, but keep doing it. Ugh. yeah. This is a weird way to, um, like
0: if, if you take this short out of context, yeah it, yeah I, I definitely see
1: that problem in there even if, like afterwards after they share their little if, secret and she show, has her moment that's fun uh she said this never happened yeah. <laughs> What, well, you're gonna get drummed out of Starfleet for singing Gilbert and Sullivan yeah. you're only gonna get drummed out of my apartment
0: yeah I would I would have had I would have had a better time it would have been more satisfying if there's like something at the end where they're kind of like uh oh no we can like um we can do like this cool, fun stuff together, and we
1: don't have we don't have to like hide who we really are. Yeah, I would have felt more Star Trekian, honestly, if she had said something like maybe don't do it on the bridge, but she's like, uh, you know, I'll meet you in the rec room this weekend, and we'll knock out a few tunes in space karaoke yeah. or something like that. Yeah, Michael Shravan, you should have done that. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know that I have much more to say about it. Um, like I said in retrospect, I was kind of disappointed in it, even though. Uh, on the surface i liked the ride and i thought the actors did a great job with it and um and i liked how it was filmed because filming inside a turbo lift is not an easy thing to make interesting i do have to talk about how i hate <laughs>
0: hate hate the interior of the turbo lift shaft how that makes no sense with
1: now How, you're talking about when they show the exterior shots, yes, not uh, like uh, not, uh, so not interior, uh, but really exterior of, of, of the car going through the rails, like a like I don't know, like a roller coaster, or right. something. It'd be like as it, if the camera was out, as if the camera's outside, gliding around among the ship's innards the, and watching the tube. Yeah, but there's no way for that to fit inside of the ship. Yeah, uh,
0: we we've actually seen schematics of the Enterprise and and seen like where the turbo lift shafts are, yeah. and they don't work like this at all. And even if, if, if you take in mind that this is like a, a slightly different enterprise with a kind of a visual overhaul, maybe, maybe it goes through a big refit between here and the original series. I don't know. But even then, with the, the size of this ship, it still doesn't make sense. It's, it's whack. Didn't and they I, do it on some other episode? They did it on Discovery a couple yeah. times, and I hated it then, and I yeah. hated here, and they need to abandon this like they abandoned the season one
1: Klingon look in Discovery. Um, I'm right there with you. I don't think it, I don't think I particularly bothered, it bothered me too much. Because I just took it as, like, uh, this is, I guess, just a stylized way to show its movement in the ship and give you some vague sense of scale. But it ad- it, it didn't add anything. I didn't... I don't need to see the interior guts of the you, Enterprise. You know would have been
0: better instead of spending your CGI money on that?
1: Yeah. Is show us an uh, exterior
0: shot of the Enterprise. They should have done that at the very beginning of the episode. You had an exterior shot of the Enterprise. You had, like, uh, some other ship. Maybe something that kind of looks like, um, I don't know. I was gonna say, like, maybe you could use, like, the. Like what he
1: was beaming over from. Yeah,
0: but I was gonna say, like, maybe you could use, like, the warp sled from the motion picture. Or something that uh, looks yeah, like yeah. A, a Vulcan Something shoot. that would have been, like, a. A cool Easter
1: egg, but also appropriate.
0: Yeah, maybe, maybe he went from, like, the Academy back to Vulcan to visit his mom, and now
1: he's coming to the Enterprise mm-hmm. or something. I don't know. Well, I will say, the next one that we're going to talk about begins with a, a shot of the yeah. Enterprise that I thought was a beautiful shot. Yes. So, yes, I agree with you.
0: Yeah, and, and the, the next short that we talk about, I definitely love the look of it so much.
1: Uh, but do we want? Are we are we ready to jump in there? Yeah, uh, any, do you have any final thoughts about Q and I, I would just say like eh, I thought it was okay. I guess maybe yeah. maybe leaning slightly towards like the lower end of okay. Yeah, uh, I went. I, I'm in a weird place because I think it's like well made, but like it has things in it that like I hate if i think about them much at all and star trek kind of for me at least begs to be thought about at least a little
0: bit one last thing i hate is when they they pull them out with that little um handheld device that that number one just grabs onto and holds onto and it pulls her up with the Mm -hmm. rope like batman's grappling gun from 1989 yep that is so ridiculously unsafe Like, why wouldn't you have, like, a harness that, like, you just let her strap into?
1: No, I I wonder... There was something in there that I wondered if it was a weird continuity thing. They said that they were looking for some kind of harness or something, but they said it's been missing since some incident or something like that. And I was like, man, that to me sounds like a reference to, like, a previous episode. Not that there were any episodes prior to The Cage, but I wondered if it was some reference to, like, a novel or a comic or something. But, I don't know, we might want to look into it, because I feel like they might have indicated that there was something that they were going to use, and then they used something else instead. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, I'm, I'm, also,
0: I'm also super annoyed that I couldn't turn on the closed
1: captions on here. I tried to do that, too. So, I wanted to catch some names on one or two yeah, of these, and so I couldn't turn CBS them on.
0: CBS All Access, fix your shit, and let me listen to the... Or let me read the closed cap- captions.
1: Yeah. Because I don't... We want to know who the names of the characters are. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so... so
0: they yeah, did mention let's... her name
1: as Una, by the way. I guess that makes
0: it formally canon. Well, they, they did that in Discovery Season 2. Oh, did they? Yeah, Pike said it.
1: Fair enough.
0: But the closed captions were wrong. They had it written as, like, and, uh. <laughs> like when Pike <laughs> like is saying Like they phonetically yeah. did it. <laughs> but it was, it was a goof. Um, but anyways, we shall move on to our next short, The Trouble with Edward. And this one was written by Graham Wagner. And directed by Daniel Gray
1: Long- Longino? Um, Graham Wagner. He's got it. Yeah. Uh, so that's the name I should remember for my hate mail. <laughs> yeah, I think
0: these were both uh, first-time Star Trek contributors. Okay. And Dave probably hopes last time. i hoping... I think you hated this.
1: Yep. <laughs> I uh, My favorite things are, like, I feel like for about, like, three or four minutes I was on board it. Because it begins with that beautiful shot of it, like, in, like, the shadow of a planet. So it's kind of, the Enterprise is darkened, but there's, um, but it has, like, you know, it's running lights and the windows and all that stuff, uh, on. And it looks beautiful. And they're rendezvousing with another ship because one of the crew members has been yeah. promoted. And she's going to beca- assume the captaincy of a smaller science vessel. USS Cabot. Cabot. What's her name? The, the new captain? Uh, Lu- Lucero. Lucero. I wanted to get a better sense of who that was, so I tried to turn on the closed captions, and I couldn't. <laughs> well, the, the captions work on this one, uh, did it? I... So they, they, or they they do now. I don't know. Uh, okay. When... I think when I tried it, it didn't work, but, but they, they don't work on the other one. Yeah, at least for me. But but I was like. I, lo- I thought the special effects looked
0: great in those yeah, opening the, the shots. Yeah, the two ships look beautiful side by side. And again, I love these interiors. When we cut to Pike and Lucera walking yep. down the Enterprise interiors corridor. interiors
1: look great. I liked Pike seeing her off. I liked her. I liked the sense that people, that Starfleet is an evolving thing. And that people do get promoted and they get cool, you know, captaincies of ships. And that there was a, there was a, little, a few jokes about her getting a smaller ship. But obviously she was going to be a good fit for it. Um, and, and Pike's enthusiasm for her with a little bit of gentle ribbing about, he's like, well, well, I guess it's supposed to be slightly prescient. He's like, they'll eat you alive out there. And because uh, they're going to go to a section that's on the border of the, like the Klingon Empire. And there's a, there is a, I guess there is a food, food problem. And yeah. so he made a sort of joke. He's but, like, they're going to eat you alive out there. And then he's like, I'm just kidding. You're going to do great. Well, I, I thought he was talking about like her crew. Yeah, uh, but that was like, clearly a little bit of a, a little foreshadowing, um, I, th- I think it is about, maybe about the crew, but, uh, it, it definitely also serves as foreshadowing. Anyway, right about once she transfers over, I guess that's when I stopped liking
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I had a, a better time watching this. I, um, still think that it got a little too silly in a few places, and, Uh, where I thought Q&A was, like, okay on maybe Mm -hmm. the negative side of okay. Yeah. I think this is okay uh, leaning on, like, the positive side. Okay. Um, (laughs) I I did Oh, by the way,
1: seeing her... When she first gets over and you see her talking to, um, doing her mission yeah. briefing. Do, do you want to go through the summary of this one, or do you want me to take it? Oh, yeah, I forgot we even do summaries on this <laughs> one.
0: Uh, you, you take it. Yeah, okay, yeah, so, you, you do this one. So Lucero beams over to the Cabot, and she gets to know her new crew, and they're all a bunch of eager, wide-eyed scientists ready to make the galaxy a better place with science. Yep. Yeah. Except for this one slacker. Mm-hmm. Uh, named, uh, Edward. Yep. Yeah. Um, Edward Larkin. Or is it Larkin Edward? It's Edward Larkin. And uh, he seems to be a bit of a... Barkley?
1: But no, without the morality? He's, like,
0: he's, a, he's definitely a weirdo. Yeah. Um, they're trying to solve a, uh, a problem with uh, um, food shortage mm-hmm. on a planet. And he says, oh, there's this animal called the Tribble. Uh, they're really tasty if you shave all the hair off. But they breed slow, so I'm going to make them breed faster and then we'll have a lot of food. And everyone is like, oh, that sounds really dumb. You're an idiot. And he's kind of butthurt that but they don't like his plan. So he goes through with it anyways. He genetically alters a triple, and it begins rap- rapidly reproducing. Not unlike what we saw in the Trouble with Tribbles
1: or Trials and Tribulation. They just give it some uh, some fancier visuals so you occasionally see them. Not occasionally, you see them, uh, the, the new Tribbles being born. Yes. Uh, but they
0: reproduce as such. An uncontrollable rate that the ship is overran with tribbles, and Lucero and the crew have to abandon ship, except for Edward, because he's an idiot and stays behind. And gets engulfed by, like, a wall of (laughs) um, tribbles. Yeah. And somehow, the the tribbles make it to the planet, which has to be evacuated, and now we have a world of uh, super-breeding tribbles, which, I guess this is to explain... Um, the,
1: the origin of the triples that, uh, no one really asked for. (laughs) I had an existential crisis watching this episode. Jesus. I, um, felt like I hated every single addition it made to the triple continuity, which I've seen little bits and pieces of in other places and I've liked them before. I hated them all so much over something. I know the triples are trivial in the overall scheme of things. That it did make me worried about everything about Star Trek Discovery's future. Um, uh, Like, I am not, you know, I'm not a big continuity guy. I don't worry too much about it. But I was like, I hated everything they did with it. From naming the, giving the Tribbles a formal name and saying Tribbles was the shortened version of it. Oh, that didn't bother me. To his, like, creepy... What was wrong with that? Why is that a problem? It's, it was just, it was just unnecessary. This seems a little nitpicky. All right. Sure. It's nitpicky, I guess, but it was like the, it was getting off on a bad foot. Okay. Um, uh, his like, first of all, I, I would think, I know this was a comedy episode and, uh, but like the, the, it felt to me like an Orville episode because their discussion of what to do didn't feel like, you know, actual Starfleet stuff where they might be talking, I would assume about like a lot of synthesized foods and things like that, uh, and, and genetically modified stuff. The notion that they would literally just be making little food bags, uh, out of these, and I know he's supposed to be a crazy dude, yeah. but they at least, like, somewhat hear him out, and that, that this goes through. She shuts them down pretty fast. I, I guess so, but, like, I would have liked for her to have said, you know, Starfleet does not, like, even, like, we don't even eat, like, meat or, like, raise it, raise well, they food do that eat way. Meat. They do eat meat in starch. Yeah, that's. I actually think they should retcon that so that they uh, so that they go ahead and have like artificial versions of stuff like that. Uh, but that's a that's a sort of separate side discussion. Um, but um, I don't know, like all the stuff he even talked about. Like uh, they're they she's worried about whether they're sentient or not, and he's like, I can make them dumb, which I guess he does too. So they are. Uh, you know, mentally demoted. Well, I-
0: anything that I think his DNA goes into is gonna be dumb
1: because. Oh, right, and it's his DNA, so it's like he fucked a tribble. <laughs> um, oh my god, and that made, you know, like, this is, this is, this is, this is in memory alpha right now, uh, is that tribbles are the result of this dumb fucking shorts episode of the uh, guy from Bob's Burgers. The guy from Bob's Burgers is the guy who invented tribbles, uh, like, ugh. I, I'm I'm too disgusted to go on, Father. You you talk about some things you liked about yeah. it. Um, or, or, or I, I, were you you were you were just having more fun with it than I did, right?
0: Yeah. Um. Some some of the some of the jokes. Uh. I I thought were funny. Some of the jokes I thought fell flat. Um. And it did get goofier than I would have preferred. Mm. Um. I. Some of the things I liked seemed to be more. Um. I don't know. Uh, more of the surface level stuff. Like I loved, I loved the uniforms they're wearing. We do get a a, a new version of, of the uniforms during the mm. conference scene at the beginning that yeah. don't have like the black collar at the top. Yeah, and I thought those looked really cool, more in line with Tos. Yeah, I agree. Um, those look good. It's weird that in Star Trek uniforms are not uniform anymore. Uh, I kind of liked seeing how the the tribbles had like a little bit of animation to them, or they they would have some movement sometimes uh but they still look like the big fur balls that we saw back in the 60s mm-hmm. um when they pop out when they're giving birth it yeah. made me think of the mogwai and gremlins for sure uh but i guess that that was fine uh the the interiors of the ship i lo- i wish this is what i wish the first two seasons of discovery looked like i always said that i thought discovery was too sterile that it needed more color um i wish that we had more colorful uniforms and just like the the way that these these sets are self-lit and i'm mm-hmm.
1: sure they're just redressing discovery sets so they easily could have done this um yeah i like uh, i i will agree with you on most of that stuff i was like like visually it looks good we I have a, actually we have do a trill really... crew member so that's yeah you know, the trills are getting a lot of attention lately yeah, but none of that has anything to do with the writing and the story um, they um so so I, I i mean just on a basic level i guess i didn't need to know the secret origin of tribbles yeah. Uh, I, we I was... had an origin in the animated series where it's like, yeah, they came from a planet that had the, uh,
0: the, the Gomer was, mm-hmm. I, I believe, the name of the triple predator that would eat the tribbles. I thought, and Glomer. Glomer. Yeah. And when you take the tribbles off of their planet where they don't have the predators, they, uh, reproduce, they get out of control. So, but they evolved in, a, a habitat where the predator species keeps them, keeps their population in check.
1: Yeah. I'm that 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 was a fine explanation for me. Didn't need anything else, but I know they wanted to do a goofy episode with it. And it so bothers this, me
0: that they reproduce without eating. Like, how do they? How can all this mass be generated like this? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. that's it's dumb. It's dumb, hokey,
1: bad sci-fi science. I mean, arguably they but, have always done that. That that's been. Yeah, it this be, is built a little. This them.
0: is a little worse, though.
1: Yeah, yeah, because you actually see them like launching out. Like so frequently in this, I guess by doing that visual, it kind of. Um, what about when the guy is like vacuuming the tribbles? and my it's god! Like, what are you What are
0: you going to do with those? Like, there's more than can fit in your backpack. Well, or vacuuming vacuuming and so
1: again, I know it's a comedy episode, but uh, the this is a ship of scientists, and in the end, before long, they are running around with like phaser rifles. I guess just stunning them. Yeah, maybe killing them. No, they're stunning them. They're stunning them. And I was like, they should have been disintegrating them though, so they could like clear up some space, right? If they had to resort to that, even for a comedy episode, I think I would have liked at least a token sense that they tried to do some Star Trek super science. Again, the fifteen-minute format comes into play, and they they can pick and choose what they show. They could have (laughs) done any of that. They don't. They didn't have to. And you can do a lot in fifteen minutes if you know what you're doing.
0: Yeah, it's just it's a format that a lot of Star Trek's greatest strengths don't play too well. Uh, that's 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 generally true. I yeah, I do want I do want short Treks to get better because I think it is a really cool experiment, and because they are getting more ambitious with the season and we're doing animated stuff, we're doing some Picard era stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I I want them to get better um, because, the, like I said earlier, it's just like it's this is my least favorite Star Trek show right mm-hmm. now and. Uh, I I think that there are cool opportunities with with this anthology format. That sure, they they they
1: haven't really like the mud. The mud episode is a perfect example of that. Yeah, it was a tightly done story. Um, one thing that kind of concerned me is that I, I suddenly wondered if this is going to be the vibe of the lower decks. Uh, yeah, kind of a this sort of goofiness, but with enough Trek uh continuity thrown in that from my mind it's going to be maddening because mm-hmm. all this formal trek continuity and again all the articles that everybody will be subsequently referencing on either uh, memory alpha or in various trek bibles is going to have all this ludicrous now, shit
0: now dave you you should you should remind everyone that you're you're very skeptical of lower decks absolutely um, probably uh, more so after watching this.
1: Yes. but Even though I like, know that there's no official link between this and that. One. Yeah. And,
0: and actually what I know about Mike McMahon and from, from what he said and from after like seeing him and his, his staff mm-hmm. of writers in Vegas, um, they, uh, are going to be taking a pretty different approach from this. I think, uh, there might be some overlap, like having, for example, like having a smaller ship. Mm-hmm. where n- maybe not everyone is, like, the best of the best on, like, the flagship of the Federation. Right. Uh, there might be some of that, but I think the level of um, jokes that, that they're going to be writing, just from what he's done on Rick and Morty and stuff like that, I mm-hmm. think is going to be a, l- a little bit of a smarter okay. uh, type of, of, of comedy, which still might rub
1: you the wrong way, because I know you don't really want that in, in Star Trek at all. But um, comedy, there- is, comedy is is like... Real difficult balancing act for me, and I honestly didn't like most of the, a lot of the humor on TNG growing up. I've warmed to it more now, and I've seen stuff that I've liked. You
0: can do it in Star Trek, I think. TOS and DS9 do it better than anyone. TOS is my
1: favorite, and what I've seen of DS9 has been very good. Those
0: are also the two best
1: Star Trek shows ever made. Fair enough.
0: That will probably ever be made, in my opinion. (laughs) Uh, But but, uh, also, I know Mike McMahon is a big uh, continuity guy. Um, he said that like all of his writers are kind of um, required to know uh, ver- shit, either like know it going into or be putting in an effort to know it. Yeah. Uh, so th- there's definitely going to be some some, I think, continuity connections with lower decks. Uh, but I'm thinking the comedy is going to be smarter, so maybe you'll like it. It's
1: possible. It's possible. I have to bring up one last thing. Uh, are we
0: gotta talk about like said? the.
1: Did you want to get into the post credit scene? Or Uh, save that? Save that for just a second. Um, uh, There's a scene at the end where she's like before some sort of Federation... uh, I I don't want to say tribunal, but it's like a... A A debriefing? A debriefing, yeah, with like about five or six uh, higher-ups from Starfleet. I said Federation Starfleet. And uh, they're they're kind of dressing her down, and it's, it's, it's leading up to a punchline. Um... But even so, I kind of—it rubbed me the wrong way in a way that surely was not intended. Of uh, She seemed like a notable—the first—not uh, the first female captain on the Star Trek Discovery, but a notable first captain, uh, female captain, is about to take all this heat for this idiot guy under her charge and is being dressed down by a bunch of superiors who clearly are not really open to her thoughts initially and are mostly guys— it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. It felt a little bit creepy and almost demeaning. Uh, not intended. Just how it came yeah. off. But the, but the scene ends with her like... She's like, he's an idiot. Yeah. Uh, they're like, you know, can you explain Which, this? And they didn't make out. Like, this, all this horrible stuff happened from it. I mean, like, theoretically she should be blamed. Except, like, this guy was such, like, a scumbag. Um, the end scene uh, is is goofy... The post credit, the post credit scene. scene. Yeah. In fact, There's, I didn't even know it because it happens after all the logos and stuff. Like I stopped was at the, the very, one. very end. Uh, so, Father, you want to go ahead and describe?
0: Sure. So this, it's very weird because it kind of starts off as like it's uh, like the tracking is adjusting on a VCR, right? Not standard or viewing technology
1: <laughs> in the in the 23rd century or now, <laughs> right? <laughs> but uh, then, but it does fit what's about to come out.
0: Yeah. Then, like it's. Uh,
1: Playing a, a commercial, but
0: it's like a commercial from the 80s or 90s for breakfast cereal, cereal mm-hmm. which often had an animated mascot superimposed into live action footage, which I kind of had forgotten
1: was a thing, but <laughs> it right. was totally a thing. Yeah. That, it, like it, Raisin Bran would have like the little sun from Raisin Bran yeah. come out, or Lucky Charms. Or Honey Nut
0: Cheerios had the bee. Yeah. Or, it, yeah, anything Um that if you're, I guess, over 20, 25, you... You would remember. I bet they're still around.
1: Um, it's still selling breakfast. I don't know. I don't see many kids. cereal
0: commercials. But uh, the uh, the idea is that the uh, it's a cereal that you can never run out of because the tribbles are always reproducing. So yeah. you have like the mom in a Starfleet uniform pouring the box of tribbles into like these bowls for these two girls. Yep. Yeah. That. And they just never stop coming out, and the kids have such a fun time eating them. <laughs> and they're available in three flavors. You have the original, hairy Berry, and Spicy Ranch. Uh, I want the Spicy Ranch just because it had, like, a cool cowboy triple on the box. <laughs> so I would buy it just because the box art looked cool. Uh, it probably tastes the... I don't know, because it's, like, not cereal. It's, like, meat. Right. Spicy Ranch with your meat. Um, I mean, no matter what, you're getting fur. But in your But how teeth. do you get like hairy berry if it's like a if it's a meat product? It's like berry and hairy. I don't know. None of these actually sound appetizing. Uh, they, they
1: may not be. And they're pregnant with flavor. <laughs> yes, they're like they're pregnant with flavor. <laughs> Uh, it was really ridiculous. It is not a normal Star Trek sense of humor, but it is a pretty standard, like Saturday Night Live sort of commercial spoof sense of humor. And and I thought it worked well enough on those merits. Honestly, I think I would have liked the whole episode's premise had it been come about through weird spoofs like that. That were clearly non-canon. Yeah, it was not even remotely close to canon.
0: Huh. Um, Yeah. Um. But at the
1: same time, it kind of seems like a waste of a short trek. Um, Yeah. I don't think I would have approached this story at all. Actually, I think a story that had triples in it would have been fine. I just wouldn't have done anything remotely close to this one. Well,
0: uh, I, I don't like the mentality of, um, oh, it's not as cool as what I was hoping it might be when I saw the trailer, so I don't like it. But this isn't as cool as the idea of what I thought it might be when oh, I saw the trailer. yeah. You you With... thought it was like kind of like a... Triple horror, right? Yes, I thought it was going to be like triples get altered um, from maybe like a mad scientist type guy, which like become carnivorous, and they and that's why. And even when I was watching this, I thought that might be the case because Pike says, uh, you know,
1: they'll eat you alive. It's like, oh, they're foreshadowing the the violent triples. And when they're doing their montage of trivels, like, overrunning whole rooms and people getting pressed up against walls, there's a, there's a, a woman who's, like, getting covered in it and does scream in, like, yeah. 1950s horror movies. Well, we style. They,
0: we know that they save her because there's only one casualty.
1: Right. Um, but but it's, it's filmed to look like yes. a 1950s monster has And, it, and it was in the trailer. Right. So yeah, um, yeah, sadly you're, I, I think I would have been more open to that weirdo idea of like kind of a, it would have even been appropriate for October, which is when it hit, to do a weird yeah. kind of triple horror story. Uh, I think I, I think I would have been happier with that. Somebody who had done some genetic experimentation on them to try and turn them into weapons. Uh, I would have, I thought it would, I think it probably would have been funny to have him turn out to be like devoured by his own, uh, creations or something like that. And a just dessert. Yeah. Oh, nice. On multiple levels. <laughs> Um, so yes, um, that would have been better than what we got. For me, nearly anything would have been better than what we got. Um, Would is... you like to see Lucero again, though? <sighs> She'd remind me of this episode. <laughs> I liked the character until they put her in a story I hated. Well, maybe... Yes, I would like to see Lucero again. Yeah, I would too. Um, yeah, uh, if they could just kind of do one of those things where they just show her, like, in charge of another science vessel... And they just kind of very, very lightly reference this. And she was like, yeah, I had a bit of a... there was a bit of a mess because of uh, on the previous ship. But things have been going fine ever since. And here's what the new plot is. Uh, that would be fun. That would be fine. Yeah. I'm um, just going to throw out one little trivial detail that I liked. Okay. And one
0: little trivial detail that I disliked. Yep. I liked when they're in the mess hall and they're getting food out of the synthesizer. Yep. It has, like, a very, like, computerized voice. And it's like... One large salad or yeah. something like that. It did sound a little bit more like uh, Majel's voice on TOS, mm-hmm. as the ship's computer. However, I disliked when they refer to the Cabot as a Cabot class ship mm-hmm. when it's actually a pre-established Star Trek ship. The uh, I think it's called the McGee class. I actually have the Eagle Moss
1: of that ship it's like is it one of the ones showing on the uh yeah it's behind there somewhere if you're watching us on video one of these or possibly Um, a shelf up above that you can't see yeah oh yeah i think it is up above sorry you can't see it but look it up online if
0: you're watching the video there's a picture
1: of the mcgee class ship right here yeah um so yeah they they mistakenly called the name of the ship the class of the ship is that am i getting that right uh, not a high level of uh, um, uh, priority That's for me. It's a
0: rookie goof, though. If you're going to be a Star Trek,
1: writer. it's a rookie goof, and because I already hate the episode, I fucking hate that they got the <laughs> McGee wrong. I'm I'm with you on this one, Fathery. I'm um, ready to get behind it.
0: But uh, I, I like I said, I liked the look of the the Cabot, the sets, yeah, uniforms, even like some of the the triple stuff that scene of like. Uh, where it's panning from the outside and you can see through the through the windows, like mm. just like the the giant wave of tribbles moving across yeah. the
1: decks. I they clearly wanted to play around with a lot of uh, almost like Looney Tunes cartoonish visuals, and I was not there to play along with them. But yeah, I you, do think you checked like, out early. I do think visually, like that, you know, like. If you were enjoying that, they did a good job. Funny shots of the, some of the same stuff they did of like triples, kind of almost pouring like a tide. The final thing where it engulfs the guy is visually very well done. But that actually that actually bugged me because the I thought it was too weird when he's just standing
0: there being weird and dumb. And yeah, he's
1: like walking around in like, his
0: tidy whities and stuff like that. Well, not not at that moment, but uh, yeah, I, I didn't mind when like he like. Woke up to the red alert and, like, goes out in the corridor in his underwear. Like, that felt like, uh... That felt like a thing that could happen. Yeah. And it, it's visually funny. Um, th- that didn't bother me. But it did bother me when he's just like, a, I'm not dumb, but I'm gonna stand here and die like a dumb person.
1: yeah. He, uh, he reminded me a little bit of the the Pocleeds in that moment, I suppose.
0: Oh yeah, maybe they got some of his DNA too. <laughs> maybe they ate some of these tribbles. One time I did laugh out loud though, and mm-hmm. it's it's like a type of humor that I like. that's like kind of subtle, and you might even overlook it. But it's when everyone is on the ship is walking around picking up the tribbles and they're putting them all on like this little. Containers. Yeah. Uh, but Edward is putting them in like a big pot. Like, 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 like he's going <laughs> to boil them or something.
1: Jesus, like a, like a crawfish boil?
0: Yeah. That's messed up. Um, yeah, that was silly,
1: uh, but it made me laugh out loud, so I uh, I, I like it. <laughs> um, you know what I would have accepted this story in? Uh, one of those uh, weak issues from the IDW anthology, Star Trek Comics, where I kind of just been like, oh man, I like two of the stories in this oh. issue, and this one sucked Good thing I'll never hear from it again. <laughs> the Star Trek Waypoint comics. Yeah, Waypoint. Yeah. I actually overall this like is, those most of the time, this is but they get a few stickers.
0: This is definitely weird enough to be in there, because those yeah. are all weird.
1: Yeah. Um, but, yeah. anyway. I'm going to cry myself to sleep tonight because of this episode, and and just hope that I'm able to get uh, enthusiasm for Star Trek once again.
0: Well, um, uh, maybe Short Treks will
1: have a, a winner for you uh, oh. next month. We'll know in a week. If not, I will enjoy... Vivisecting it uh, just like Edward would with a, a delightful meaty triple. <laughs> oh, but I think before we go, we had uh, a few uh, viewers who had chimed in, uh, viewers listeners on uh, Twitter and some other social media, just to say uh, what they thought about these two episodes collectively. Right before we did this, so any comments we wanna we want to read, respond to, or just uh, hear out? Sure, yeah. So we had some
0: reactions from uh, Twitter. Uh, this is this is in regards to both episodes of short treks this season. So Q and A and the trouble with Edward. And Trucky Rob says, "Love them. Great to see more of number one. Loved Edward,
1: the USS Cabot, the Tribbles, and Captain Lucero." All right, so somebody's on board. Somebody uh, they they have at least one victim. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm glad I'm glad he liked it. Glad he liked it. Uh, our good friend uh, PJ uh, Boat Trek
0: said. Q&A wasn't nearly as fun to watch as The Trouble with Edward. I love that they did a straight-up goofball comedy that actually made me laugh.
1: Are you okay, PJ? <laughs> I'm, I'm being no, a jerk. Not, not everyone's going to hate this as much I as I you know, did. I'm being a jerk. Some some people like to laugh. I'm being a jerk like Edward. It's my homage <laughs> to my new favorite character. Yeah, well, keep your DNA to yourself.
0: <laughs> Heather Ray says, I liked both, but Q&A is my favorite. Where's the Pike
1: series? I'll, uh... I I agree with all of the things in that. Um, uh, Q&A, despite some issues, I had stuff that I definitely liked. Would love to see a Pike series. And
0: like I said, even though I thought Trouble of Edward had some stupid stuff in it, Mm -hmm. still had a little bit better time than with Q&A. Didn't love or hate either one, but... You get the Spock-raised eyebrow from me. Word. Thad writes, I enjoyed Q&A, but the humor in the Trouble with Edward didn't really land for me what i'm talking about yeah so there's someone on the same page as you dave the first time ever but i'll take it (laughs) james mount says best episode so
1: far excellent interesting i will be curious to see what the overall view of these is you know uh we're we're seeing a little slice of readership viewership here listenership uh but i'll I'll be curious to see what, what what people are overall thinking overall good overall bad we'll find out I would have to put the
0: Saru episode and the Mud episode over both of these. I believe.
1: Uh, I definitely—that's just me. I definitely would. I think I would actually put. Uh, so far, I liked all. I would take all of the ones in season one over, over all of these. So over far. both of these, yeah. I wouldn't take the Tilly one, and maybe not Calypso. Oh yeah, no. I think I think Calypso was well done, even if I did think it was a bit of an out of place. And I liked the Tilly episode in spite of kind of being very contrived um, anything else and finally uh last but not least leslie e owen writes
0: i like they used bing crosby singing johnny appleseed other than that disappointing and juvenile uh this is clearly talking about the trouble with edward which
1: they had the, that was the montage when they were cleaning him up yes Yeah. Um, I didn't
0: recognize that as Crosby, but I I can definitely hear it now. That's a good catch. That's a good catch,
1: yeah. A bit of a
0: a connection with with Tasha Yar being played by Bing Crosby's granddaughter, Denise Crosby.
1: Yep. They should have had a ghostly image of uh, Tasha Yar waving from the great beyond. If you're
0: watching the video right now, here's a picture of me and Denise Crosby together in Mexico.
1: Nice.
0: (laughs) If you're not watching the video, you should, and then you can see that. But yeah, that's all we have to report on the two current short treks of Star Trek Short Trek Season 2. Uh, we will be back in a month. Uh, November 17th, we'll be discussing the episode Ask Not, which is going to drop on November 14th. And what's this one going to be about, or do we know? Uh, I don't... No one is really sure as far as I know. Does that mean it's going to be the animated one? No, we're expecting this to be more uh, Pike and Enterprise type okay. stuff. okay. And then after this, we get into the animation and the Picard prequel stuff. But, uh, yeah, let us know what you thought about these two short treks, and come back in November to talk about the next one with us. And until then, as always, Live live long long and and prosper, y'all! Thank all of you so much for checking out this installment of Text Trek. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Please be sure to like our YouTube videos and subscribe to our channel. Uh, audio-only versions of episodes are available at our website, www.tex-trek.com. Uh, please check out our site, especially if you just want an audio-only podcast. Uh, we have that available for you. Y'all can also keep up with us online. You can follow us on Twitter, at TXTREK, or you can uh, check us out on Facebook, at www. Facebook.com slash text-trek. Uh, please, by all means, let us know what you think by dropping a comment anywhere you see fit. Uh, we definitely want to hear your feedback. Let us know what you liked and what you would like to see more of, what you would like to see differently going forward. If you want to email me directly, uh, go ahead. I can be reached at fatheryactual at text-trek.com. Thank all y'all again. Uh, take care.